When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello everyone and welcome to the PH Nutrition Podcast. Today we are delighted to be joined by Irene Clark, who has over 15 years of experience coaching athletics, strength and conditioning, Pilates and specifically works with runners and many peri and perimenopausal and postmenopausal women. Um, I'm super, super excited to be picking Irene's brain today. Irene, welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for being here. Thanks for the invite, Chloe. Delighted to be here. Thank you. Um, so I just want to jump straight in. I'm going to give you loads of questions. But first thing, just perhaps tell us a little bit about your background and uh, work you do with your clients. I will, of course. Thanks a million. So my background is in sports science, sports nutrition. I'm a sports educator. I work generally with endurance athletes, mainly runners, but also I work within in Ireland with and with the national governing bodies. So that's the likes of Athletics Ireland, Triathlon Ireland, people like that. And I'd also work with uh, through Sport Ireland with local sports partnerships. And their goal would be to get people active, whether it's male, whether it's female. How I would have come to I've always coached in lots of different guises. But how I would have come specifically to work with peri postmenopausal women is as back as far as 2016. I was coaching within an athletics club and as part of that, somebody in the club decided that it'd be great old crack if we could get 100 people to run a marathon. At that time, there was a commemoration going on in Ireland. So it was just really as part of those celebrations. So we ended up with 166 people who ran the Dublin Marathon and they were the biggest team ever to compete. But of course, somebody, the famous somebody, had to coach these people. And that somebody was me. So I was doing a lot of work on the coaching. And what I discovered was that the men were grand. The younger women were grand, but the kind of midlife women were struggling. And it was almost like you were putting out one fire, then there was another, then there was another. And I was off that age myself and could, you know, I could understand where they were coming from and why they were finding it 
such a struggle. So as you do, you say, well, what am I going to do to change this? Let's consult Google to see what they're going to tell me, how women train at that age. And at that time, the only solution Google could come up with was to go for a little bit of a brisk walk and do some chair yoga, which really is not an answer for menopausal women. So I ended up down the rabbit hole of menopause research, menopause education, both from a hormonal health perspective, but also we're looking at training, we're looking at nutrition, and then we were looking at the recovery side of it as well. So with all of that information, I then was lucky enough to do a pilot program through Athletics Ireland, who were the first governing body in Ireland in any sport to take on, you know, this task of helping menopausal women to train. So we did a pilot program. We took the learnings from that because, you know, it's great to have the research But this has to be applied practically, like we need to actually make this research work. So that's what we did through this pilot programme. So from that then, in the last few years since post-COVID and we're able to do all of these things, we've been rolling out workshops across the country, just really to both online and in person, just to give women the information and to help them to continue to train. Because as a group, uh, probably, you know, the first generation of women of this age who have trained for something. Our mothers probably didn't. They probably worked very hard, but, you know, they weren't running 5Ks. They weren't doing CrossFit. They weren't doing kind of structured training. So that's that's where I'm at with that. Uh, and, you know, in the course of doing that, what I did discover that only about 6% of sports science research is carried out on women and even less on menopausal women. So it's a very small body of research that we're working with. But I'm hoping, you know, as time goes on, the research will change. Maybe what we're doing has changed. But at the minute, that's what we're doing. So we're rolling that out. And yeah, with the there just being not, you know, there's such minimal research. I think it's that's why it's, you know, 10 times more important that women like yourself have the platform you do, which the girls you do and everything. And it's just, you know, the more we can talk about it and get the information out there, um, then the, uh, which is awesome. What kind of things or what kind of issues do your clients come to you wanting to focus on specifically? All sorts, really. Uh, you know, I think... The women don't know. They're frustrated. What They want to know, how do I train? How do I fuel? They're discovering that what they used to do, this doesn't work anymore. You know, training's becoming a struggle. You throw menopause symptoms on top of it. They're gaining weight. They don't feel like themselves again. And a lot of them just want to get back to feeling how they previously did. And, you know, I think as a generation we have this disease of more you know we've been brought up with this idea that right let's do the training and if the training doesn't work what will we do sure look we'll do a bit more training because we can't be training hard enough or if it's nutrition that we're interested in you're trying to maybe manage your nutrition a little bit better if we're not losing weight, well, what do we do? We restrict more. So it's always about more, more, more pushing ourselves harder and harder. And for many women, they just end up in this hole whereby they feel 
burnt out. You've menopause on top of that. And they're just not getting anywhere. And whilst previously they may have put down to age, they know now it's not necessarily just age. So I guess they come to me looking for a solution. And I would work with women both on a one-off, you know, one-to-one consults. I coach through an endurance coaching program. Then most of my work would be working, doing webinars, doing workshops, and really just getting that information piece out there to as many women as possible. Kind of the most common, in terms of, you say, how women come to you and they, you know, things aren't, they kind of notice this big change in terms of how they're feeling in their training, their recovery. What do you think is kind of the main symptom that they, you know, they is the worst for them that you notice? I guess, well, in terms of menopause symptoms, like there's quite a lot of menopause symptoms that you have to question, is this menopause or is this overtraining? And there's a huge overlap there. Low energy, fatigue, lack of sleep, you know, no kind of mojo left to train. Sometimes it's menopause, sometimes it could be low energy availability, could be overtraining. Uh, there's a lot of women un- perhaps unintentionally underfueling because they're just not aware that you need this. This is the amount of food that you need and it's an awful lot more than you might have thought you need. So they tend to come to me because they're stuck. And there's no one particular symptom, but I guess their goal is they want whatever symptoms they have gone uh, simply because they're not enjoying running or whatever their sport is. And it's just become a struggle. But yet, on the other hand, they don't want to give up what they've been doing. So, you know, it's like menopause itself, it can for many, many women be a little bit of a perfect storm because of their age, they are very much in this sandwich generation. So they're stuck maybe between teenage children or children of any age. Also, maybe perhaps trying to support aging parents. If they're working, they're no doubt at an age where they've quite a position of responsibility, perhaps. And then you throw menopause symptoms on top and it all just becomes this perfect storm. And about 30% of women become much less active at this age. And it's because of all of those factors. Like it's not, it's not just the fact that they're the sandwich generation, but if you take that and then add on all of the symptoms that are affecting how they train, it's really easy just to take a step back and say, oh, here, look, you know, I'm going to do a bit less. Whereas in actual fact, we want to be doing a little bit more because our bone density is dropping. Like we can lose up to 20% of our bone density in this seven years around peri-post-menopause. In terms of our muscle like we're losing about 8% per decade up until mid-60s or so. And after that, it's 15%. So they're huge issues for us from both a general health perspective, but also from a performance perspective. And that's really what we need to be looking at, not just in terms of our performance now, but also we all, I think, have one eye on future fitness because what we do now in our 40s, 50s is going to determine what we're actually able to do in our 70s and beyond, particularly when we're talking about uh, bone density. 
because it takes if if for example you discovered through a DEXA scan that your bone density wasn't great uh, or maybe osteopenia going into osteoporosis if you started now on improving your bone density it does take up to a couple of years to see an improvement so if you leave it until you're in your 60s in your 70s you've lost a lot of time there so yeah that's 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 a big one i think the muscles and the bones um, and it, bone density yeah. is such a magnet for us as women like you know especially if we are under training already coming into that time and then you know it's it's just making it a lot worse for us isn't it so yeah yeah and I think something that we can forget as women is that you know it's being really really lean is not necessarily a good thing in terms of our bones because if we're not eating enough then we're going to start breaking down bone because our body is going to take what nutrients we have from bone and it'll start to break down. So if you add that to the fact that when we're losing estrogen, we're losing bone density as well, it's really not helpful and it's putting us in, you know, much worse position than we could be in. So I think that's really where nutrition comes in as well. And we need to be thinking about how we can fuel ourselves, not just for performance, but for general day-to-day life, but also for that future fitness as well and future health. So let's kind of talk about then. So if you you have a client who comes to you, so say I come to you and I'm perimenopausal, I am experiencing severe perimenopause symptoms, my training is suffering. First of all, what kind of recommendations would you talk about in terms of nutrition first? Okay, well, I guess if you're coming with symptoms, the first, my first suggestion to you would be use a symptom tracker, which you can get freely available online, and go and have a discussion with your GP. Because if you, sometimes with menopause, a lot of the symptoms, it's hard, sometimes you can be vague because it can be like you go to see your GP and they say, well, what's wrong with you? Oh, look, I'm not sleeping great or I have a bit of this. I have an ache and a pain, a bit of dry skin. But when you actually look at all of the symptoms, you might discover that you have an awful lot more than what you actually thought you had. And if you were to go and see your GP, you're going there educated. You have an idea what is going on with you. You have that option there off HRT. HRT is absolutely not a magic pill, but for some women, it can be a game changer. I think get your education around symptoms, around HRT, have the conversation with your GP. But the other thing to bear in mind is that hormones are chemical messengers. So what we do externally, how we train, how we recover, how we fuel is going to impact what's going on internally because it's going to drive our hormones either negatively or positively. So as an example, if you weren't, say, taking rest days or you didn't have enough recovery, it's going to impact your hormones. So that potentially could drive your symptoms. It could potentially impact your general health and it will definitely impact your performance. So we're looking at a jigsaw here. There's four pieces, the HRT, which is optional. 
that's not a it's some women want it some women don't but then there's the three other pieces we're looking at we're looking at training we're looking at recovery and we're looking at nutrition and what we're all trying to do is get a a little bit of a jigsaw together because this is also the solution to you know feeling better throughout menopause but the frustrating part of it is is that the solution is individual so if you and I were both to like if you were to use these four ingredients it's a little bit like making a cake we may both end up with the cake we both have the same ingredients but we would use a different recipe and that's where it can be quite tricky for women to get this result Uh, so we really need to be thinking about training the right the right type of training fueling it properly before and after and then absolutely recovering uh, there because we can only train as hard as we can recover and as hard as we can fuel and you know sometimes we in the past uh, we might have perhaps thought that rest days were for the week or for sure people who aren't training enough you know why would you need a rest day but the reality is as we're getting older it takes longer to recover when we have no estrogen it takes longer to recover again so rest day is free fitness so we need to be taking them but in terms of was your question around nutrition uh, I guess amazing and very very useful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we went off it. on a tangent there. Okay, so in Good. terms of nutrition, uh, women that I work with, they have three main. There's three main challenges really. The first one is calories. Are you actually eating enough calories? And for a lot of women, the answer is no. Are you eating enough protein? The answer can also be no there as well. Or are you eating enough carbs? So in for women, they tend to be the three things. Like they're, women get caught somewhere or another uh, with those three things. And they're really the priorities. And if you're looking at a nutritional priorities pyramid, it's calories first. Like before you're even thinking of anything else, are you getting enough calories? If you are, then you're trying, you're then looking at, well, what's your macro breakdown? So what about your protein? What about your carbs? What about your fat? And then you're working your way up through micronutrients, meal timing, and then supplements at the very top. Whereas for a lot of questions that come up in workshops that I do, the first one around nutrition is, well, what supplements should I be taking? And really we should be thinking we're going to get more bang for our buck from the bottom of the pyramid the calories than we'll get from the supplements at the top they're the kind of one percent wins as opposed to the calories which that's where we'll get the big wins so hopefully that answer answered that that's great one always wants a supplement for everything isn't it it's a you must hear it a lot what supplement can i take and yeah, always it's always a thing people want to do because it's, you know, maybe we think it can be a magic pill or an easy fix or something. Uh, in terms of, you mentioned that protein was probably one of the, obviously calories in is probably one of the biggest areas, but protein as well. So you, you kind of mentioned that that's probably something a lot of women are falling down on. Do you have any kind of particular recommendations and how much protein you recommend or anything specific for women of that uh, around perimenopause to get more protein in? Yeah, like we're looking, I mean, we're trying to get a decent intake of protein. I guess the other thing what's happening in 
peri-postmenopause is some women can become quite sensitive to food. They can find it quite difficult to tolerate a lot of protein. But in an ideal world, if you could get somewhere from 1.8 to 2.2, 2.3 grams of protein per kg of body, body weight, you'd be doing really, really well. I guess the thing to do is to be thinking about including protein. Is it there at every meal? Is it there at every snack? You know, where is your low-hanging fruit in terms of protein? For a lot of women, that tends to be lunchtime because, you know, you might have, say, porridge with Greek yogurt, some chia seeds, there's milk in it. So you're getting protein there from a few different sources. For breakfast, you might have eggs and what have you with it protein there. Dinner tends to be fine. You know, if you're, if for most women, they're working around meat, fish, potatoes, vegetables. At lunch can be, lunch can be the, the one meal that is tricky because traditionally we might have had, say, a bowl of soup, some bread this time of year. You might have a sandwich. There's just not sufficient protein in that. So you're thinking there of, well, what can I have with that? So, you know, are you having some chicken with it, with your bread? Are you having tuna? Something like that. What could you add to your lunch um, if you were having, say, soup and bread? And then you're thinking about your snacks. Uh, Greek yogurt, skyr, these types of things, they're all really, really good for increasing protein intake. So if you were to get protein at your three meals and at one of your snacks, at least in the day, you should be close enough to, to hitting your protein intake. But I guess if you are, if you do have issues with your stomach, you're finding it difficult to tolerate, just think of improving on where you are currently with your protein. In terms of fueling specific exercise, is that something that you kind of have a lot of don't really, they come to you and perhaps they don't do that enough, like fueling specifically for their training as well? Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. And a lot of the time it's unintentional, you know, it's not... None of us intend to do these things, but perhaps we just don't know. So you're looking, I guess, because I work a lot in endurance sport, where, but it's not just endurance sport. Like, absolutely, my, I know intermittent fasting and fasted training is a little bit controversial, but my feeling on that is as women, we perform much, much better in a fed state. So regardless of if you're training at six o'clock in the morning, my recommendation would be always to eat something before training, whether that is some sort of carbohydrate source, perhaps it's a banana with a bit of nut butter, maybe it's a slice of toast with honey, but get something in. If you're training for up to an hour, generally water is just fine unless it's very, very high intensity. But if you're training, say, beyond that, you need to start thinking about some kind of a fuel whilst you're training. So a lot of runners, for example, I would work with, you only really have enough glycogen stores. And that's assuming you've eaten enough carbohydrate in the days beforehand to do whatever run or workout you're going to do to get you about 60-ish minutes of very high intensity and 90 minutes of lower intensity. So you need to be starting to take something on board there. Where I think can be an issue is that we can become quite sensitive to carbohydrates, particularly fructose in sports gels. So what a lot of women find is that 
Number one, nobody really likes a gel anyway because, you know, they're not exactly great. It's not like eating a bar of chocolate. They're, they're not that tasty. They're fine but and they do a good job, but they're not something you'd be looking forward to. And then they find that perhaps gels they previously took, they can't tolerate anymore. So the key there is to look at the ingredients within the gel. And for a lot of women, they find that anything that's very, very high in fructose, they can they can't tolerate it quite so well. So if you are training for an event or you're using gel sports products on an ongoing basis, just practice, practice, practice until you find, you know, the, the products that work best for you. Yeah, we uh, have a lot of when we work with Ireland, I think a lot of people I don't realize how much they do need to fuel during those those runs as well. It takes so much energy yeah. out of the system. Uh, in terms of training around perimenopause and, and postmenopause, do you have any kind of specific recommendations that, that are different to uh, brisk and chair yoga? Do you have anything oh, for sure, I specifically do. you recommend? <laughs> for sure. Well, I guess there's four challenges that we're looking at here. So we're losing muscle, we're losing bone density, we're losing power, we're losing speed. We also can't build aerobic fitness in the same way. So we need to change how we do that. But just in terms of general recommendations, like regardless of sport, we absolutely all need to be doing strength training. Some sprint interval training is also very, very helpful. Plyometrics are very, very helpful for bone density as well. And also just if you are training for endurance, uh, you need now to be thinking about training differently. So what happens here is that if you were, if some of your ladies were training, let's say they're training for a 10k run, half marathon, marathon, they would have previously done, to build aerobic fitness, you would do lots of long, slow, easy running, or if you're a cyclist, you'd cycle and because they're primarily aerobic activities. How you would build your aerobic fitness is that you would be trying to increase your mitochondria. So mitochondria is an organelle in your muscle cell and it takes the energy from food and it converts it into energy that we can exercise with. And that entire process is driven by estrogen. So for a lot of women, what tends to happen to them is that when they get to menopause, they are in a position whereby they've all of this stress going on in their lives. They haven't perhaps slept, they're fatigued. And instead of doing training in a way that some of the runs might be really, really easy, some might be intervals, they tend to just go out and run. And they're running in what you'd call a steady state. So it's too to build speed, but it's too fast to recover. And in this steady state, that tends to drive inflammation in the body. And you tend to end up tired and wired. And that's where this struggle comes in, thinking, God, I can't train. It's all becoming really, really difficult. Now, what we need to be thinking of, if you want to continue to train to run, which you absolutely can, is you need to be thinking that to be a better runner, a better triathlete, a better swimmer, a better cyclist, it's not just about the sport. Yes, you'll still be doing long runs, long cycles, but you're going to be doing them at a, in zone two. 
So very, very low heart rate for recovery. But then you're adding in your strength training, your sprint intervals, your plyometrics, and perhaps some functional training. So, and this is, this applies to all training, regardless of sport. You know, it's not, you're not going to get better just by doing the sport specific stuff. So we need to be thinking now more than ever about doing all those other things with it both for our current performance, but also for that future fitness piece as well, if okay. that makes yeah, sense. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what would you say, so in terms of women overtraining, I know it's just something we've spoken about a lot and people not taking rest days and things, in terms of overtraining with kind of things like weight training, would you kind of have any recommendations on for girls who are overtraining with weights and things like that around menopause? Yeah, I mean, you can overtrain if you're only training two days a week. If it's something new to you and the intensity is too high or you've increased the load too quickly, you definitely need rest days. And I think, okay, so a lot of women do CrossFit and CrossFit is great because you can scale it. But you need to think more about, so if you in your workout, you're doing perhaps a strength piece and then maybe a workout of the day, it's not about going flat to the mat on both of them. So you might today go hard on your strength piece and you're working at, you know, not a one rep max effort, but you're working at kind of quite a high effort level, a sort of eight out of 10 effort level. The workout of the day then, you're not trying to kill yourself on it. You're just using it for movement. On another day, if there was more of a, Metcon type workout if there wasn't a strength piece you might use that as your sprint intervals there be, might be plyometrics in there you know the, the old burpee tends to to surface quite regularly in those workouts so the key really would be if you're training crossfit style is to focus some days on strength other days on the more sprint interval type of training and have rest days you know we need there's very few people uh, who would do less than five days would be the max, absolute max as we age, because we're what we're trying to think about is doing, it's never about more training, but it is about doing better training. And that's where you're going to have some success and you're going to have a better performance. You're going to climb out of that hole of just feeling exhausted, overtrained. And if you get that training piece right, it will help your symptoms, assuming that you're fueling and you're doing the recovery piece as well. Very glad you said that. I am definitely a massive fan of the of the no more than five days. Five days is more than enough. Um, so yes, very happy that you agree there. In terms of cushion and training, I've got a few questions from people. Mm. Before I go on to those, are there any uh, in particular that you would kind of want to focus on with the, all that you focus on with your athlete, particular during menopause? Yeah, well, our gut microbiome changes a little bit. So the more diverse our guts can be, the better. So you're thinking, you know, in terms that we can all understand as much variety, fruit, veg as you can. You're not, I don't think we need to overthink this really, you know, get enough calories, get enough protein, get enough carbs, get your fat eat lots of fruit and veg and hydrate. And for 99% of us, that will give us a good result in my, in my opinion. Uh, and then you're supplementing 
definitely with vitamin D. And then for a lot of women, creatine is very, very helpful as well. Outside of that, the only supplements I would be recommending are those that you can't get from your diet and those that somebody who medically understands what's going on has advised that you get them as opposed to, you know, the man in the health food shop. So keep it simple. That would be my opinion on that one. Absolutely. One of the questions we had was, uh, do you recommend collagen subs? I think the the jury is out on collagen as to whether you should or whether you shouldn't. Whoever asked that question, my suggestion would be to, there's a very good website called examine.com, which takes a lot of the research and will, you'll be able to pop in collagen and it will tell you what, what the story is, you know, whether, how many papers said, yes, this is a good thing to take or no, it's not a good thing to take and the reasons why. So have a look there and, and you'll get, you can make your mind up then. It's a very good resource mm. of it. Um, okay, continuing with our then, uh, do menopausal women than younger women? Slightly, but not. And that's because you're losing a little bit of muscle. But if you're active, no, not really. And I think it's it's negligible, really, the amount. So, no, I would say not really. Harder for menopausal women to drop body fat? Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, much harder. It's slower. You have to be more consistent. Uh, There is no doubt about it that there are much bigger consequences to our nutritional decisions now than there were 10 or 20 years ago. But it is still possible and it absolutely is still possible to change your body composition. And I think, you know, one thing that we all need to remember is that body composition is going to dictate whether our trousers fit as opposed to scale weight. Uh, But yeah, it can be done. Use your measurements, uh, take it slowly. My opinion would be a smaller calorie deficit over a longer period of time. If you try to restrict hugely, that will come back to bite you. It probably will fuel your symptoms and you won't lose weight in the way that you did before. But yeah, it is still possible, but it's it's much slower. Do you have any recommendations for breakdowns for menopausal women? Okay, well, we kind of covered protein already for we're looking to aim for somewhere between 1.8, 2.2, 2.3 grams our kg of body weight. In terms of fat, around 1 to 1.3 grams. That's per kg of body weight as well. Carbs then are quite an interesting one, particularly, I guess a lot of people I would work with would be endurance athletes, so they would need a lot more carbs. But really in terms of carbs, you're looking somewhere between three and eight, maybe even 10 grams of carbs per kg of body weight. And that's going to depend on your level of activity. So the bottom line there is the more active you are, the more intense that activity is, the more carbohydrate you're going to need. Probably, I would guess most of us would sit five, six, uh, you know, for an average, an average person working out but that is going to be like obviously the women you're coaching you're going to be able to advise them because you know exactly how much training they're doing I guess for most of us we need more carbs than we might think we do there isn't it is something that's been ingrained into a lot of us is, mm. you know 
no need for carbs, but yeah, they are much needed. Uh, more questions on training. So that's, that's all good there. One question is, is just about recovery. Um, one girl has messaged, said, find my recovery takes longer and I get more DOMS than I have done previously. Um, is this a normal thing you see in your clients? And have you got any kind of recommendations there with DOMS and recovery? Okay, so you're thinking here uh, about recovery. Well, I guess there's two elements to recovery, right? So we're thinking about recovery on a week-to-week basis, but we're also thinking about recovery on perhaps a three-week cycle. So you're thinking rest days at least two every week, but then we should be taking a step-back week or a deload week every third week. Previously, it might have been every fourth week, every fifth week. But because we know that with estrogen, it takes us longer to recover, we need to take that third week as a recovery week. So how that works is if you imagine a set of stairs. So you take two steps up, one step back, two steps up, one step back. And that is the way that if you're training for something, you will eventually get to the top step. And the top step step is your event or your goal race. So that would be helpful with her DOMS. Perhaps you maybe need to look, if you constantly have DOMS, you maybe need to look at your training program. Is it too hard? And the other thing to look at is your protein and how much you're getting, uh, because that is going to kickstart your recovery. And if you can get protein close post-workout, that would be much more helpful as well because it will trigger muscle growth after intense exercise so that's going to be helpful with your doms as well so you're thinking step rest days step back weeks check your training uh, plenty protein and plenty fuel overall I think that's all of our questions that we've answered pretty much everything we've been asked there, which is amazing. Uh, This is so good. Thank you so much. Have you got anything else that you'd kind of like to tell us about any other nuggets or anything? Um, This has been great, though. No, I think, you know, just to summarize, like think of the your how you manage menopause as this jigsaw so you have the hormonal health side you have your training you have your recovery and you have your nutrition and just try and piece it together so that it minimizes your symptoms as opposed to maximizes your symptoms don't be afraid to recover don't be afraid to eat and don't be afraid to change how you train Thank you so, so much for being with us today. Um, If our listeners want to find more about you, where can they find you? They can. I have an Instagram account. It's menopause underscore coach underscore Irene or have a look on the website. It's menopausecoach.ie. Today, Irene, that's all from us today. So more information on our nutrition at PH, visit phnutrition.co.uk or visit our Instagram at ph underscore Thank you so much and I will see you all very soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.